Hi, everyone. I'm Mark Savitelli, podcast host and president and CEO at NAOP. You're listening to the NAOP podcast, Inside CRE, featuring interviews with commercial real estate leaders who share industry and career insights. NAOP, the Commercial Real Estate Development Association, is the development industry's leading source for education, advocacy, and connections that drive your business forward. Inside CRE is brought to you by Avison Young. In today's episode, I have the privilege of speaking with Richard Branch, the Chief Economist for Dodge Construction Network. His primary focus is tracking, analyzing, and forecasting construction activity and continued execution of the monthly Dodge Momentum Index and National Construction Starts Research. Richard, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mark. Pleasure to be here. Well, great to have you. So before we jump into the real meat and potatoes that I'm sure everybody's quite interested in hearing, I think it would be great if we could just get a quick opportunity for our listeners to get to know a little bit more about you and a little bit more about Dodge. So if you could, you know, give me a little bit uh, information about the Dodge Construction Network and what you do in your role as chief economist. Sure. Yeah. Great question. I love starting with with shameless self promotion. So this, this <laughs> is a good way to start. Uh, so yeah, Dodge. Uh, it, it's a great story because Dodge has been around uh, since the early 1900s uh, as as an entity. We've gone through different organizational changes and whatnot over the years, but the core of the company has been here since since 1920 something. At the heart of what we do is we're tracking construction activity at the project level. So we have this great interplay between longitudinal data sets where we're tracking Mm -hmm. construction projects through their life cycle from early stages of planning when there's a GC and an architect assigned to it, all the way through groundbreaking. And as we're taking snapshots of these construction projects over time, we're learning about who's building them, what materials, where they are, what they are. It's just such a rich sandbox to play in. But then what we also do is, is we take that longitudinal data and we convert it into a time series when the projects break ground, what we call a start. And that's where the world, that's the world that I play in for the most part as the chief economist, is we take that time series and we forecast it out five years. So we're really tracking construction activity and forecasting it across 23 different sectors within construction, within residential, non-residential building, and then into the infrastructure space. So it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful data set to play with. You know, as I mentioned in the intro, you helm the Dodge mm-hmm. Construction Outlook, which is a really influential resource for the industry. Could you share with our listeners maybe how they could use that information to its fullest potential? I mean, obviously, this is an industry that is so dependent upon resources, materials, construction, and the like. Sure. So if if you think about how one would use a forecast in a business setting, right, this, this is totally applicable to the construction sector. We're here to help you find what areas, what verticals within the construction space are going to grow, what are going to contract, that discussion takes place not just at the vertical, but also geographically. Will one region of the country grow faster than the other? So it allows you to change, alter, or grow your market opportunities. We're here to help mitigate risk, essentially, right? But we're also playing in the world of mergers and acquisitions. We're helping companies identify, target, 
builders and other BPMs and whatnot that that might that might be ripe for opportunity. So really, in terms of of we're helping these businesses make strategic decisions about the future. So one kind of last question more about you opportunity for a little bit more shameless uh, sell promotion. <laughs> but uh, you know, what is it about your job? You know, what's a favorite thing that you do? I mean, I got to imagine as a chief economist, that's a pretty yeah. wide scope of responsibility. Yeah, I, I would say there are three things that I really, really love about my job. So I've been at Dodge now 13 years, so longtime employee of the company. I've been in the forecasting group my whole career here, started as the lowest rung of the ladder as an economist, a senior economist, and now uh, as the chief. So three aspects of what I really love about my job. I already mentioned the data, right? I, I've been a professional forecaster for 25, 26 years, something like that. And, and I've never had the opportunity to use and then work with a data set like this. Number two, I, I would say it's the team. I love the team that I have underneath me. Uh, they are such a talented and inquisitive group of people that that keep me energized and keep me moving forward and pushing my limits, which is which is awesome. It's a give and take in the, in the team, which I love. But I think the third thing, and it cycles back to how people use our forecast and how people use our outlook. One of the key things I love about my job is sitting with clients and walking them through the challenges that the construction sector is going to face and how they can build opportunities and grow their profitability and to mitigate those challenges. So one of the themes for this podcast is this is in the 80s. And we'll be taking a look at what's going on, particularly with offices and hotels. With that in mind, what was going on? Kind of set the table here. What was going on in the 80s with offices and hotels that made that time period such a standout? Yeah. So the essentially, I think there, there are two key things. One, structural, and then one I would call more economic or policy. That From the policy perspective, there was a major change to the tax code in 1986 yep. that essentially allowed for extended depreciation. Right. And so that's when we saw the peak of the office market was the all time peak of the office market was in 1985. And it had a lot to do with with that accelerated depreciation or extended depreciation, excuse me. And the same flies for the, for the hotel industry as well. So that's more on that economic or policy side. But I think there was a structural element here, too, and, and particularly with the office market that. I always try to liken the office market or, or, or make linkages between that and, and popular culture. So if, if you think about the show Mad Men, right, and, and what was the most coveted position or the most coveted space in an office during that TV show, it was that corner windowed office, office, right? And that, that mentality really extended into the 80s, where the, the higher you were on the organizational chart, the higher you were in the building and the bigger office you had. But as we went past the 80s and into the 90s, then you transition into a movie like Office Space, right? And the Cube Farm. And then we evolved from the 90s. Exactly. And and then we, we, we... we evolved from the from the from the cube farm into more open and collaborative space. So cycling back to to the eighties and what made the eighties so special, it was the end of that corner windowed office as the ultimate sign of success in the business world. How would you describe the pace of office and hotel construction through the cyclical changes mm-hmm. uh, in the economy since the eighties? You know, we we talked a little bit about at the beginning of the last question. You know, the savings loan crisis, but there's also in that intervening time, of course, 
the great financial crisis, that small interruption that we all knew is uh, COVID-19. So give us a little insight into some of those uh, cyclical changes that we've seen throughout the past uh, 30 plus years. And this is where those two markets kind of deviate, right, in terms of how they react to cyclical changes. And we'll start with the hotel market, because I think that's the easiest. It's one that all of us can understand, right, because because, uh, we all stay in hotels at some point, whether for business or, or for leisure travel. What's great about the hotel market is that it has always rebounded quite aggressively in the wake of economic crisis. So whether that's the SNL crisis, the tech bubble, the Great Recession. And if we think about why and what happens in the hotel market is it's an exceptionally competitive industry. So you think about, say, a hotel property, it's called a Marriott, right? And and they, in, in the wake of a recession, they go through an upgrade cycle. Right. We're going to renovate our building. We're going to make it more modern, more lights or whatever. Well, what does that Hilton do across the road? They're going to upgrade as well. And so it's that competitive snowball in the in the hotel market that has allowed the sector to constantly rebound and reshape itself. But it goes beyond, I think, the upgrade cycle into the value chain. And how we've seen hotels ebb and flow between, say, that higher end and luxury market, mm-hmm. you know, the more resort based, which has has always stayed fairly stable. It has always provided a, a fairly decent floor for activity other than maybe the Great Recession when everything was hurt. But those kinds of properties have always provided stability as opposed to, say, the mid-market or the value chain. But what we've noticed, especially, you you mentioned COVID, what we've noticed, especially pre-COVID and then post-COVID, is that lower end, that economy side of the hotel market really hasn't come back. And I think this has a lot to do with the experience. And that's where I think the hotel market has changed. It's become less as a, a utilitarian, I need a bed and a bathroom, and that's pretty much it, into more of an experience. Is that sort that, of explain? No, you, know, you see some of the uh, the bigger change, you know, Marriott, Hilton, and they, you mm-hmm. know, have gone from just one or two different brands under that umbrella right. to fifteen to twenty different brands under those umbrellas now. No, that I think that's spot on, and that that's also playing to different generations, right? There, there's a, a brand that 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 markets particularly takes to the Gen Zs or the, the sorry the Gen Xers or the Boomers, and then there's more of that millennial. So it absolutely has become a much more diverse market, and that diversity in the hotel sector has allowed it to constantly reshape itself, evolve, and grow. Now, unlike that, the office sector has not done that. So if we think about that analogy of from Mad Men to office space to more of the high techy collaborative and we're all going to get along and share our, our cubes kind of thing. The office space has has never really recovered back to the point of that, that 1985 peak. Each subsequent cyclical peak in the office sector has been lower and lower and lower and lower. And that has really accelerated, I would say, over the last couple of years as as the pandemic and the outfall from the pandemic has really caused this market, that evolution or devolution in the office market to continue to really ramp it up. Just to make one more more pop culture uh, analogy here, I, I liken it to Spinal Tap. 
And, you know, they did that evolution in the office market got turned up to 11 because of the pandemic. <laughs> it's a great reference, by the way. It's, uh, you're on a roll with this pop culture. Uh, this, this great. I'll see if you take it here in the next question, see if you can work in another one. So sure. you know, talking about kind of this bifurcation, so to speak, between, you know, what's happening in the hotel market, what's happening uh, in the office sector, you know, where are you seeing right now? Let's let, let's look at it from the positive side here first. Where are yeah. you seeing stronger performance compared to the whole? In terms of both sure. hotel and office, and then of course the flip yeah. side, you know, let's let's look at where we're seeing, you know, maybe some markets that are underperforming in hotel mm-hmm. and office as well too. The office sector has been really interesting over the past uh, year or two because what we've noticed there's essentially three different kinds of office projects in our data, loosely speaking. There's speculative office projects, right? The ones that rely on rent and then whatnot to, 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 to move forward. Then there's the more corporate headquarters build the suit kind of property. Just to add a, a layer of confusion to our data set with offices is we put data centers in the office market. Now we're able to separate out data centers so we can look at just clean core office versus data centers. But in terms of opportunity in our office data, that data center market has become huge. Uh, it's now about 30% of our office data right now is, is in the data center market. But if we want to talk positivity, I would say that more build the suit corporate headquarters actually seems to be increasing inactivity over the last couple of years. It's a small part of the market relative to the speculative side, but sure. it does seem to be picking up pace. And and I, I don't have core really hard data to, to back up this, but my hypothesis right now is I wonder if this plays into that hybrid work environment. So instead of a corporation saying, you know, we're going to have one big office tower in Miami or New York or Chicago, they're saying, actually, we're going to have satellite offices, smaller suburban offices around the country to facilitate this hybrid work environment. So you may come into this, whether it's a regional or state or local office for two to three days a week or two to three days a month, whatever that number is, to facilitate more group work and more teamwork. But then you go back out to your homes uh, uh, for the remainder of the time. So I think that's a particular positive element. And I, I would say from a geographic perspective, the positive side has been more of that suburban office market, again, catering perhaps to that remote and hybrid employee that only wants a desk for, for a day or two, a week or a month. So looking in that suburban market, just a quick follow-up. So is that more perhaps kind of repositioning an existing asset where it's seeing the construction activity, or is that more largely new new build that you're seeing? Yeah, great question. In, in terms of renovation activity, that's where we've seen the biggest uptick, and I think you're spot on there. It's it's all reno. Yeah. In, in terms of our data, the office market is traditionally 30 to 35% renovation work. When you look at 2021, 2022, and even into the first few months of, of this year, renovations are close to half of all office construction activity. And I think you're spot on. It's it's someone renting or leasing a suburban office space and totally gunning it and making it nicer and making the amenities nicer for more, to make it more attractive for workers that they actually want to come into the office. So we talked a little bit about the positives. Are you seeing some markets, though, whether it be the hotel, office combination of the both, that just, you know, just underperforming in regard to the metrics you know, you're really taking a look at? I would say in, in the hotel market first, and I, I mentioned this a few minutes ago, where we're really seeing the hotel market underperform is in that more economy side of the value yeah. chain. And I think that makes sense given that that what we're seeing in terms of travel right now is, is I, I read the term revenge travel. 
you know, people making up for those lost experiences during the pandemic, and and they may not want to stay in a value chain hotel. I want a really nice space. I want that resort or that high end four or five star property because I've been cooped up in my home for the past two to three years. So I want this experience to count. So that lower side of the value chain is certainly underperforming. On the office side of the market, that underperformance is not surprisingly in that more speculative side of the market, right? The, the, the yeah. stuff that's built specifically to rent. But I would say even deeper into that, it's that downtown urban office market is really suffering. And that really goes back to the pandemic and the shifts in residential construction that we saw as people got used to remote and hybrid work, they moved further and further away from downtown cores into the suburbs and exurbs and even rural spaces. And that really, I think, allowed that suburban office market to pick up. Let's talk a little bit about what you saw from hotels, particularly in the last year, 2022. Outside of maybe, you know, people looking to spend a few extra dollars, perhaps on a little bit more of an experience. Were there some surprises that you saw in hotel construction in 2022? <laughs> I'm going to say as a forecaster, I'm never surprised. Everything always works out exactly, exactly as we anticipated. Uh, I, I think where I was surprised was the amplitude of growth in 2022. Construction starts really picked up quite aggressively in in, in hotel construction. and And our sense was that it would take some time for hotels to recover financially from the pandemic. We're, we're just now starting to see occupancy rates get kind of close to where they were prior to the pandemic. And, and for us, that has always been a metric in terms of when that upgrade cycle would start. But this time around, it seems that upgrade cycle started maybe a year or so earlier than it would have in previous downturns. So I'd say that was probably the more surprising thing. And I would cycle back as well to to planning data that we're tracking in the hotel market is is it kind of goes lockstep in this, but there's just been an absolute wagon full of hotel projects come into those early stages of planning, and I think again more so than we would have seen in previous in in, in rebounds from previous cyclical downturns. And those hotel, you know, again getting kind of this revenge travel mode here you know those yeah. hotels that you know we're starting to see construction take place on are they more at that higher end i would assume they're probably not you know convention center like hotels with business yeah. travel still seems to suffer a bit but is that where you're seeing it more in kind of those you know four or five star kind of experiential places it is most definitely more on the high end side and i think thinking ahead to 23 and 24 if if you know our our forecast is is that the economy will slow down not go into recession but certainly slow down and it's that higher end side of the market that i think provides a, a floor or sense of insulation for the for the office or sorry for the hotel market this year and next so definitely tilted towards the high end do you think we'll see we'll continue to see that trend then throughout the rest of this year perhaps into 24 I think so. I think this year, towards the the second half of this year, and really, I would say through the midpoint of 2024, I think the market's going to remain skewed towards the high end side. But as we start to get into 2024 and we start to see the Fed thinking about normalizing interest rates, I think that's where we start to see that mid-market start to come back. I think that aligns in terms of, of our thinking about the hotel market. We think that's when business travel will start to respond or at least get even close to where it was prior to the pandemic. The one market that I think stays down and out, at least for the foreseeable future, and again, I would cycle back to that economy, the, the more lower end of the value chain, I, I don't see a lot of opportunity there. Well, using opportunity is a good segue here. You know, 
a large portion of our listeners, certainly a large portion of NAOPS membership, have always been involved in the development, ownership, management of, of office space. And of course, right now, this is, you know, the the million dollar question, you know, what's what's going to happen with office? You know, you, you, you pick up a copy of the Wall Street Journal and it seems like almost a daily basis, one of the front stories is always about the death of office or people aren't going to return or what what's the future of office it, basically it's uh, it's all the uh charlie brown doom cloud hanging over the entire uh entire office market in your analysis of the data that you see is there reason to be concerned about construction activity when it comes to offices and you know it's kind of a follow up question in advance to your answering that is the hybrid approach to working impacting this vertical in the long term? Yeah, maybe maybe let's start with the second question and then and sure. then go to the first one because I think they they kind of feed together. If we think about the employer employee relationship, who has the power in that relationship right now? Given the labor market, it, it's definitely the employee, and more and more employees are saying we want remote or hybrid work or we walk. So the the newspapers, whether it's it, depending on your your poison of choice in terms of media that that you read, uh, the the headlines are always Corporation A is demanding workers come back to the office. CEO B is saying they need to be in the office full time, and those make the headlines. But I I think given that power waiting, it's probably going to be pretty hard to stick to. I think even with an economic slowdown this year, even with the labor market softening. Workers will continue to have control, I think, in terms of that relationship. So I think that rem- that hybrid model is definitely here to stay. And that feeds into the housing market, too, and just how unaffordable the housing market is. And so people are going to gravitate to lower cost areas of the country if they can. So it, it, then thinking thinking back to that first question, then is there concern about the office sector? Absolutely. But I, I, you know, you, you mentioned it, you know, the, the the death of the office market. And I always cringe when I hear that because we've said that about so many verticals before, you know, yep, we, we said that about the retail sector, retail. Uh, you know, the retail was going to die because of e- e-commerce. Retail, retail didn't die. It evolved and it changed. And if you look particularly at the higher end or the more niche or boutique retail experience, they're flourishing. Yeah. And I think the same thing with the office market. The office market isn't going to die. It's going to evolve. It's going to change. And I would cycle back to the spinal tap reference that this market has been evolving since the 80s. And if we say all of a sudden it's going to die, I would say we, we've been missing <laughs> a good chunk <laughs> of the office history, right? And and so I think it goes back to there, there will be opportunity for growth in the office sector once we get through, say, the next year or so of economic softness. But it cycles back to more, I think, of that niche, the whether it's, it's the suburban build the suit kind of property or whether it's class A type office buildings to get outside of dense urban markets that I think play in quite nicely to the growth in remote or hybrid work. So again, not dead, evolving and changing. Yeah. So, you know, is there a chance in this evolution? Uh, by the way, this is great to hear. But in the in this evolution or reinvention, is there any chance that office will get back to that level of 80s, in your opinion? Or is, you know, something completely different? Yeah, just I'm going to 
pull up some data on my other screen here um, in terms just just to, to give you the scope of what it would have to come back to. <laughs> and, and, and then that 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 so data always answers the question, right? Data is king. So 1985 office construction peaked at 350 million square feet in new construction. Just prior to the pandemic, it hit 152 million square feet. That was the pre-pandemic peak. So the the 100%. chances of us getting yeah so the chances of us getting back to that 350 million square feet over the next five to six to seven to ten years I think is is absolutely not I you know I I think even getting back to that 2019 peak is going to be very difficult over the next five years. How do you see the way that uh, office and hotel buildings are constructed changing? You know, uh, mm-hmm. see more use of technology, automation green building features. What do you see changing with this? Yeah, you you hit it right on the head there. I think sustainability in terms of either product uh, that, that's being used to build these buildings or whether it's just more eco-friendly, um, eco-friendly amenities or water saving, say in hotels and whatnot, that, there, that does seem to attract clientele. Companies are trying to be more green. They're trying to be more sustainable. So they will naturally gravitate towards leasing or renting a building um, that has more green or more sustainable elements to it or travelers, business travelers doing the same. Um, So that sustainability is, I think, a big factor. I think in terms of other building methods, again, I would cycle back to the evolution of the office space and more open space, less office, less cubes. Because again, you know, if, if you're thinking about the office becoming a place of meeting rather than a place of work, walled office space is is kind of the 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 breakwater there right it it it, it actually is a detriment to more group and more more uh, more group work so i i do think within terms of the internal mechanics of office buildings um that more open space but it even it goes back to lighting you know that requires better lighting better air handling uh, better amenities in general. So we are seeing the the office market change in terms of building design as well as hotels. If you go to the a hotel, much of these newer ones, right? The lobby space is much more open. It's much more bright. It's welcoming. Yeah. Very big change from what hotels were built like back in, say, the 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah, it seems like everything is wood and open and bright. And nowadays, it seems right. like pool tables, ping pong tables. Exactly right. Yeah. And it's like being in Central Perk if we want to pull out pop culture references. But, <laughs> right. Um, exactly right. A quick follow-up, though, to that. You know, one of the things that uh, we're hearing more and more about, particularly in, in, the, in the public and government sector, is this, you know, conversion of office to residential, kind of taking a brown building to green by way of going to to the residential. And of course, you know, not every office building can, can be converted to residential, but do you see a lot of potential in that in terms of construction activity or is the data even now starting to show that we're seeing some of that to move the needle a bit? Yeah, we're actually not seeing that in the data. I would offer though that that conversion data is notoriously hard to capture. Uh, yeah. We're not. We're certainly seeing it anecdotally. We're hearing more about it. We're seeing individual projects pop up in our quality control meetings and whatnot. But in terms of a trend in the data, I still think it's a fairly small portion of the total. That being said, I think your first part of your question was about opportunity. 
And absolutely, if you think about suburban or sorry, that urban downtown office building that might be vacant, that's a prime opportunity to convert into into residential space, right? Because the other thing we talk about, you know, you mentioned the death of the office market. The other thing that came up since the pandemic was the death of the urban market. And I don't think urban markets will die, right? New York City will always be New York City, Miami, Chicago. They will always be engines of economic growth particularly for younger people just out of college that are looking to start to grow their careers, they'll tend to gravitate to bigger cities. But what do big cities have against them is the lack of affordable residential space. So that conversion of these unused office buildings to more affordable multifamily for younger generations, I think, is a huge opportunity. So I always like to end it on a positive note. So I'm going (laughs) to stop there on the forecasting side, but I also just want to kind of end it on a little bit of a light note too, just to you know, few closing questions for you. What is the best book, business related or otherwise, uh, that you've read recently? Oh, I, I I think before we hit the record, we were talking about this uh, in terms of meetings. And one of the the books I recently read, it was suggested by uh, an executive leader here at Dodge, is, is Death by Meetings, and it was really about rethinking how the you know I'm sure you're like this, and I'm sure most listeners are like this. Our days are so programmed from beginning to end. It's meeting, it's meeting, it's meeting, it's meeting, and virtually no break. And this book was really about taking that control back. And if you're going to have meetings, maybe fewer, more focused meetings, maybe the difference between a weekly check-in and a monthly, more strategic meeting to kind of separate the tone, but also just trying to create dead space in the day to think to be collaborative, and more importantly, in particular for what I do when I'm looking for linkages and data, is to be more creative. Mm-hmm. You know, to have that opportunity to play with the data and with these relationships. So that book was really kind of an eye opener to, to to basically say to me, I have the control to take back my day and to do it and make more make more focused use of my time. Looking at my calendar today, I think I could really use <laughs> read that book. <laughs> so. In closing, if you were to say, you know, to the folks listening, what do you think are some of the top takeaways that you'd like our listeners to remember from our conversation today? Yeah, you know, I I would, and your questions were spot on. It was always about turning that negative into opportunity. And I think so much of the press and so much, particularly business business publications are about the death of this and this market's not coming back and this sucks and that's terrible. You, you got to push that off to the side. There is a lot of opportunity in this construction space right now, not just limited to hotel, not just limited to office. There's an incredible amount of opportunity out there. But given where we are from an economic standpoint is you need to continue to be very, very creative and very, very aggressive. But that opportunity is there if you want to look hard enough for it. Richard, thank you so much for your time today. I, I really enjoyed our conversations. I have no doubt that our listeners will value your insights. Thanks again for joining us today, Richard. We appreciate it. Thanks, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Inside CRE with your host, Mark Salvatelli. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others and be sure to subscribe. Special thanks to our podcast sponsor, Avison Young. That's all for this episode, and we'll talk with you again soon.